Around the nation, COVID-19 vaccines have been met with resistance and skepticism by many. For some, it may be about timing, a desire for more information, fear of the unknown, or political and social pressures. For others, their faith plays a critical role in understanding and making a decision about vaccination, something that can be uncomfortable to talk about in the effort to encourage more people to get vaccinated. So, how do rural communities engage people of faith in vaccine education? With candid conversations, thoughtful research, and a willingness to face tough topics head-on. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hotshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 46 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hotshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development. You know, Rachel, one of my most common issues uh, that I often get asked about directly, whether it's at the grocery store or even here at the hospital, uh, as it relates to COVID-19 vaccinations, is truly related to faith. Um, Many people in our community know that I'm a minister uh, and that uh, my faith has always been very critical to me. I serve uh, as a fill-in pastor for places around the state in the tri-state area. And so oftentimes I am questioned about uh, the relationship that my faith uh, plays to getting the vaccination. And the assumption often being that people of faith should not get vaccinated or encourage vaccination. Believe it or not, that is the most common thing that I get. Such questions as, JJ, how can you as a blank. Now, they've done it because I'm a conservative, too, and I'm not afraid to admit that on this program. Uh, And they've said, you know, how can you be a Republican and do that? And then it's the question of my church community, and it's widespread. How can you be a Christian? You know, you and, and as far as having one individual tell me, don't you trust God enough? And so those factors, really, Rachel, is what prompted us uh, to look at this a little deeper. It's something we've never tackled uh, and something that we felt very important. And actually, several weeks ago on our Facebook Live program, uh, we addressed this, and it was overwhelmingly uh, accepted. Uh, Individuals appreciated it. I think we had over 11,000 hits on that. Uh, And individuals in our community and throughout the tri-state area actually received emails based on these. And so I thought it was important, Rachel, that we address this topic today. Yes, this is an issue that many communities are facing but are hesitant to tackle. Um, You know, you always hear people say never talk about politics and religion. Oh, I know. So we've talked about politics plenty on this this show, so we're going to talk about religion now and break (laughs) all all those standard rules. But today we're talking with a faith leader who is not at all afraid to engage his community in this conversation. Never been afraid. And uh, a great friend to Hillsdale Hospital. So our guest today is Reverend Lucas Miller, Pastoral Care Director, right here at Hillsdale Hospital. So welcome to Rural Health Rising, Reverend Miller. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. So to start, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and also the work you do now as a pastor and a chaplain here at the hospital? Sure. I'm originally from northern Michigan, a little town called Roger City. Grew up there. Uh, I found my way to Hillsdale uh, because I attended Hillsdale College, and which I know JJ did yes. as well. Glad to hear that. Yeah, a few years behind you, but not too many years behind you. Mm. And while I was here, I had wonderful opportunities to participate in many of the churches in the area. In fact, I came to Somerset Congregational Church, the church I pastor now, um, as a youth group leader back in the mm. early 2000s. Yeah. After I went to seminary up in Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary near Boston, uh, we were out there for five years with friends and uh, 
at a wonderful church out there called Westgate Church, but we made our way back here once. Um, my wife was uh, pregnant with twins, and we wanted to be closer to family, and it was wonderful because the church where I had originally been participating and knew everyone was looking for a a full-time pastor and called me to come back here. And so we've been in the area since 2010, pastoring uh, Somerset Congregational Church. And it's only been recently that I've come onto the hospital back in, I want to say, March of 2020. Uh, I was asked to come on as chaplain. It's been a great experience uh, working with uh this is a really great hospital, and we're very blessed as a, a small community like Hills Hill to have such a great facility here and great people who are working here. It's been a blessing to me to mm-hmm. be able to to participate here. So, Pastor, what does a chaplain do? I mean, do you do you walk down the hallways and bless people? Do you, I know you have a security detail, but I mean, sure. at the end of the day, <laughs> uh, what what does a chaplain at a hospital do? Just for our, our audience who may not know. Two things I would say. One is absolutely going and doing visits and being available to both patients and their families, and actually also their st- the staff at the hospital as well. Um, but in addition to that, uh, coming on recently, it was helping the hospital put together what does pastoral care look like. And I know one of the biggest involvements I have is I'm also the president of the uh, Hillsdale County Ministerial Association right. and trying to keep good connections there mm-hmm. and getting community pastors also to be aware of and participating in hospital functions and sure. uh, ways that we can help the hospital as a faith-based uh, leaders here yep. in the county. And we know that uh, your faith plays an important role in healing, yep. and uh, we see that here all the time. And in fact, mm-hmm. Rachel, you and I uh, were huge advocates of uh, opposing some of the early orders from our governor that shut down visitation in general. Right. So pastors couldn't come in, family couldn't come in. And we knew that in our skilled nursing facility side, that that group of individuals needed, you know, the love and support of their family as well as ministers. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. we're back to normal and, um, you know, we're, we're excited to have you here. You're a father, you're a husband, you're a pastor, you're a chaplain, you're a scholar, and I'm excited, really, to have you on the program today. But before we get started, this is something that we do on every one of our episodes, just so we get to know you a little bit better, as well as our listeners. Um, we want to know, what is your why? Now, we ask this of every person, and the answer isn't going to be required to be a stock answer. It's your why. So what gets you up out of bed in the morning? What motivates you? What, what brings you to the place that you're at? Well, I'll tell you right now what gets me out of bed is my wife and children having to go to school and I need to get up and help them (laughs) and take the dog out and make breakfast. But I know I'm just like most, I would would say most people, my family, my friends, my church are what get me out of bed every day. But in addition to that, as a Christian, understanding that I am loved by God that I am created by God to do, uh, to serve Him and to mm-hmm. serve others. Uh, there is a joy in that that allows me to do what everyone else does as well. But I think also with a greater amount of grace and joy uh, and optimism and hope. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, Rachel and I often share with each other, and even with guests on this program, uh, that this is a ministry. What we do here is a ministry. So, um, you know, healthcare right now needs a lot of ministers. 
a lot of people that are hurting, not only patients, but also staff members. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're reading more and more about suicide rates among healthcare workers. Uh, and it's very alarming. It's very concerning uh, for us as we look at that. But uh, certainly your passion and your ministry has been very important uh, to our hospital. But I'm most excited uh, for our discussion today, Rachel. Yes. Yes. So let's get into this first by discussing, you know, what's the relationship between faith and vaccination? So full disclosure, you guys already know this about JJ and uh, Reverend Miller, but we are all three coming at this from a Christian perspective. So um, there is bias there and it is being stated, right? (laughs) Um, So we're all three Christians ourselves, but also that's what we encounter most here in Hillsdale. That's the predominant Mm -hmm. faith here. So Reverend Miller, what does Christianity have to do with vaccines? Why are we even having this conversation? Well, there's a couple things to say. And first is just looking at the overall Christian worldview. Uh, As a Christian, we believe that uh, God created everything that there is and created it good. However, that's Genesis chapter (laughs) 1. Genesis 3 happened very quickly after Genesis Mm 1. And, of course, that is the account of the fall of man into sin and disobedience and, of course, with God um, proclaiming a a curse on not just man and woman but also on creation. And so we can trace at that point all the things that uh, make life hard and difficult, including diseases like COVID, are part of that fall. It's a reminder to us that this is not heaven, that we live in a fallen world still. But that being said— Also, we learned in Genesis 1 that we were created, human beings were created in God's image, meaning Mm -hmm. we are created with uh, creativity and insight and a desire to learn and grow. And that is what is behind the field of science. In Mm -hmm. fact, if you look through the history of science, you're going to find Christian after Christian because the Christian worldview believes that there is an ordered world that we live in, that we can learn and grow and develop. and And so... It's amazing to see, as uh, Christians as well, how much we have progressed medically mm-hmm. and, and including uh, the process that brought about these vaccines in record-breaking time. Right, mm-hmm. right. So we're, we're going to go through some of the most common concerns or, you know, objections that we hear, uh, most common that we hear about with the vaccine as we relate to faith. Um, so to start, the very first, one in which you can Google it. Uh, you can hear it even on certain television programs, uh, and you hear it in our community that the vaccine is the mark of the beast. Mm. Now, Pastor, I'm not going to get into you know a, a long you know study and exegesis here of of all of these things. Why not? That sounds like a lot of fun but, to me. But you could do it, and we have no more podcasts. Exactly <laughs> right. They're done. But but it is it's there. It's something we're hearing about. And I would like to have your perspective on, is the vaccine the mark of the beast? I don't believe so. The Actually, I strongly don't believe so. Right. Uh, the mark of the beast, of course, comes from the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, which is apocalyptic literature that is hard, lot, full of a lot of symbols. Um, but one, two things make me believe that it is nothing to do with it. One is the fact that uh, the mark of the beast was used to basically, it was the ultimate test of one's religious loyalty. Mm-hmm. And I don't see the vaccine as being a test of one's religious loyalty. But second, people don't realize that the mark of the beast is, comes in Revelation 13. There's actually something opposite of that 
in Revelation 7, which is God's sealing of his people also on the forehead. Where So the mark of the beast is almost a parody of what God is doing. Yes. And so if we're going to say the vaccine then is the mark of the beast, then we have to say, okay, well, that comes after the God uh, seals his his people, his elect on the forehead, what is that then? Right. And nobody could tell you what that would be. Yeah. So. And, and sadly, you know, I, I think what we're, we throw anything at this issue just to, to make it like, let's come up with a reason, right? And that tends to be what happens when we have misinformation. Right, Rachel? Right. I mean, Absolutely. we're just going to throw information at it, whether it's good or bad. And Rachel has given many lectures uh, on these programs, and they're very good <laughs> about being very careful and guarded about information that's just mm-hmm. out there mm-hmm. because it's it's all skewed. But w- one of the things that we also have to remember, and, and again, we're not getting into a biblical lesson here, is the issue that the mark of the beast is really surrounding uh, buying and selling. And so we had a program a couple weeks ago, and I brought that up. And someone jumped right on and said, well, that's what's happening today. That's not what's happening today. Uh, The economy and stock market, no relationship on if you get a vaccine or not. So the fact that I have a vaccine in my arm, I'm not getting more money in my 401k or getting less money. It doesn't doesn't allow me to walk in the grocery store and scan anything to buy Mm -hmm. and sell. So we have to be, when we look at the scripture, we can't use it just for the purposes of proving our point. How many times have we been in situations where someone uses scripture to try to prove a point? But it's out of context. And to your point, you know, the, the whole purpose, um, you know, when we talk about being sealed and we talk about all of those things, you know, they're not t- looking at the whole context when they say things like, well, it's definitely the mark of the beast. Well, then if it is, how come these other conditions aren't present? Right. So I think that's a great point, Rachel, mm-hmm. that we just mm-hmm. have to clarify right. is if you're going to use that as excuse for not getting vaccinated, that unfortunately, that is not a reason which I feel that God would sanction for someone to say, I'm not going to get vaccinated because it's the mark of the beast. It's not a mm-hmm. test of one's loyalty, no. religious loyalty. Um, there's no one, no government official saying you either have to take it or, uh, you, or deny Christ or take the vaccine. Nothing right. like that that's happening. The dichotomy is different. It's not, like you said, take the vaccine or deny Christ. It's right. take the vaccine or don't take the vaccine, but there are going to be some things that people need to do if they're not taking the vaccine. And I think one of the other things we saw in that same comment, because, Pastor Miller, you had mentioned, I think, I think it was one of you who used the word economic, that the mark of the beast would be economic in nature. So the commenter was saying, well, it is economic because people can't get jobs if they're not vaccinated. Um, and that's not true no, everywhere. No, and it might be true in some locations um, and not, not in others. But right, it's not true here. And I think the point you were making was that it's transactional, not relating to the economy Correct. in any single teeny tiny way, Right. Yeah, you would from the biblical material, you get the impression that it is absolute. Mm-hmm. You absolutely cannot buy or right. sell, can't get job, can't all of that unless you have this mark where right. this is the vaccine is yes, you may have pockets of that. You might not be able to eat out eat in the restaurant in New York City right now. Right. But that is a far cry from uh absolutely not being able to eat or right. buy or anywhere in the U.S. And and mm-hmm. and I want to make a note here for our listeners. This is no different, Rachel, than what I've been dealing with for a decade here with the flu vaccination. Right. It's the same thing. Right. We mandated that our employees get vaccinated for the flu. Mm-hmm. And we shut down certain 
times of the year, our obstetrics department and our skilled nursing. Why? Because the transmission rate of the flu right. impacting the, those populations and then potentially causing even up to death for our skilled nursing facility. So we've had this in place for mm-hmm. decades. That's not it, new. It is not new. So vaccination in general. Now, you may be opposed to this specific vaccination, but to say that all vaccinations are the mark of the beast, it's it's inappropriate. It's, it's not actually the case. Mm-hmm. So another, um, you know, that's one of the big ones, right? We're just like, let's just come out of the gate with one of the big questions. But um, another really big question is related to the abortion issue. Um, This is something that's very near and dear to my heart. I've spent, you know, a lot of time volunteering in um, pregnancy resource centers and and things like that and counseling and working with women who are, um, you know, trying to make decisions about their life and their future. Um, And, you know, I'm very staunchly pro-life. I've written editorials for it. um, But... There's a real concern here for people that if they are getting vaccinated, whether it's one of the COVID vaccines or a lot of other vaccines out there, that A, there are fetal cells in it that are being injected into their body, but also that they're being used to research and that those fetal cells were aborted, were tissue from an aborted child. Um, So does taking the vaccine support abortion? What's the factual basis behind those assumptions? um, And how does that factor into a decision-making process? I just had a woman sit, uh, I just had a woman in my church recently ask me about this. Mm. And so we talked just a few weeks ago. I was happy to share with her some of my research and information as well. Now, Now, it should be said that all vaccines use what are called immortalized cell lines to uh, produce the vaccines. And that originally these immortalized cell lines did begin with fetal cells. Now, there are no longer any fetal cells today Mm -hmm. because these are cells that have been reproduced over and over and over and over Mm -hmm. again. But they did start with fetal cells. Uh, And the cell lines that are used by Pfizer and Moderna were created by two medical researchers in the University of Leiden in the Netherlands back in the early 1970s. In -hmm. fact, they were doing cancer research. Mm -hmm. The problem is we do not know the actual origins of those original fetal cells. You're right. But what we do know is that in the Netherlands in 1973, abortion was illegal. And these researchers were working at a hospital it is highly un- it is so highly unlikely that they would search out for aborted fetal tissue which would obviously be illegal get them possibly in trouble mm-hmm. would mm-hmm. jeopardize all the research that they're doing right. when more than likely they had at their disposal uh parents allowing the uh, a miscarriage of their child to be used mm-hmm. to, uh, just like we would think of an organ donation today sure. use right. those fetal right. cells it it is so Highly likely that that is the case. Yeah. So if that is true, then th- there were no aborted fetal cells ever used. Mm-hmm. Now, fetal cells were used, but again, it's more the case. It's more like um, a parent allowing a child's organs to be donated who had died of natural causes. You know, and this thing has taken a life of its own. Right. Uh, this particular issue, because it has it has the the pro-life community and the Christian community, of which I belong to both, right. uh, up in arms. But I, I think what's most critical, Pastor, is just like when we talked about the mark of the beast, it's in context. 
you know, there's a lot of storytelling going around about how these cells were harvested. And all of the research that the three of us in this room have done does not point to any evidence that it was an intentional aborted fetus for the purpose of extracting cells for research. It was done in a hospital um, and it was done under review and it was done under a process uh, that hospitals engage in for research all the time. Um, but we have no concrete information that these were illegal aborted fetuses. So I think what's critical of our listeners today is if you're making that argument, it's just like saying it's a mark of the beast. And you may scoff at that as a listener listens to it and say, ah, oh, it's not mark of the beast, but it definitely has this. It is no different in terms of your argument, because you have to look at it in that context. So I think that's important, Rachel, as we look at this in, in our communities and the Christian community and the right to life community, is let's just break it down for what it truly is. Right, right. And I think the other piece of that, too, that people don't understand is not only that um, it's very unlikely that this was aborted uh, fetal tissue, but also Even if it was, the other assumption that I think sometimes people have is that the fetus was aborted for the purpose of research. Um, And and so that's the other concern. And, you know, when you talk to a lot of folks within the the pro-life movement, the the belief is that um, let's take the life and health of the mother, for example. Um, Now, why is that not considered abortion? Because the goal is not to... Uh, end the life of that child. The goal is to save the mother at that point. Um, and I think it's similar here. The The goal of this, you know, particular research was not we need to terminate a pregnancy. The goal of this research was we need to figure out ways that we can treat and, and cure cancer. Um, and it, even if, you know, this was one of those situations where, okay, maybe the family, to your point, may, maybe it was a, a miscarriage situation, the family knew that ahead of time, um, it still doesn't change the purpose uh, behind what is happening. So it's really hard to qualify that as con- being considered an abortion. And Rachel, I think another important factor in this is why are we just now taking that position because uh, this has been used for many, many years in researching such things as Tylenol Mm -hmm. and other common medications that we all take. Right. It's during this debate has it been brought up and misinformation given. We Mm -hmm. have, if you take Tylenol, you're, it's from the same research line. Right. It is. You can, you can Google it. You can look at the fact sheets and, and they're saying over 55 other medications that are derivatives from the same process. Mm -hmm. So we have to be careful you know, what we're going to say is we're absolutely not doing it because this is where it comes from. But yet we pop two Tylenols before we come in to a radio program because we have a headache. Right. And so those are important things that I think we have to remember is that in context. So, you know, Pastor, the other issue, I guess, is more of a theme. Does trusting the vaccine to protect you mean distrusting God? Because we hear all the time. I put my trust in God. He will protect me. And I believe that. I'm a firm believer in that. But he also gave us medicine. So you tell us, does trusting the vaccine mean distrusting God? It's wonderful to think about God has so many ways that he can heal us. And we see that actually played out in the scriptures as well in the person uh, of Jesus Christ. Jesus at times could heal people from a distance. He could at other times have them put mud in their eyes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then go wash it out and come back. 
which is like, well, why do you need that one step? Jesus, all you had to do is say the word. Right. And so there's this, uh, he uses secondary means. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And certainly, I believe that God can heal directly, but he can also heal through the advancement of science and technology and medicine. And I think that is a secondary mean that God uses to heal us. And how thankful I am for all the Christian doctors and nurses and honestly researchers as well who put in their time believing I can be uh, an instrument of God, a means that God may use to cure whatever disease we think of in Mm -hmm. the future. I really like that. Secondary resources. You know, Mm -hmm. you think about that. You're right. He could have simply said, you're healed. Yeah. Right. Um, But he chose to go through a process. And, you know, when we think about um, monoclonal therapies, Mm -hmm. another example, right? Uh, It's one more tool in the toolbox, just like vaccines are. And oftentimes we get hung up on absolutely not getting a vaccine. But pastor, you'd be surprised at the number of people who have shared with me absolutely not getting vaccinated are the first to text me and say, I want the monoclonal therapies, JJ, ASAP. Yeah. I want whatever so-and-so had. And the problem with that is, is we have a lot more research and information on the vaccine than we do on monoclonal therapies. Now, I'm not discounting those because they are effective and we've been researching them and studying them. But my point in that is, is you're right. There are secondary impacts, you know, in, in, in measures and ways that God has given us doctors, right? Who is a doctor in the Bible? Luke. Uh, Luke, and my name's Lucas, so I always enjoy that. So, Absolutely. Yeah. My Luke, cousin Luke is also a doctor. See, hey. so there's, so, there's great. Yes. But Luke Luke was a physician, right? Yep. And he had at his disposal, what? Herbs and in natural mm-hmm. remedies as what they had at the time. Yep, that's right. But as we develop in advance as people, um, we have the technologies and the resources uh, to, in fact, provide the same level of medicine today that probably would have been considered back in Jesus's time, and truly. When, and when we think of the Apostle Paul, he even in his uh, letter to Timothy talks about the fact that he's going to take a little wine to help help with his stomach troubles yes. he has. He doesn't just say, I'm just going to trust God to take care of no. the stomach issues. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take a little wine because that is what, in right. that day, that's what you would use to help yeah. Your, if you have some stomach issues. Well, and I think God expects us to uh, call on, you know, physicians in our communities uh, to take care of us in a physical nature, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and the relationship that that plays, I think, is critical. I mean, if we were suffering from a uh, serious illness or we had a gash on our hand, where would we go? We'd come into the hospital right. because we have those resources. And, and God blesses those resources, I feel. Uh, and I, that's why I say that this is a ministry, because we are truly ministering to people. But I think that's an important fact as we look at this, is it's trusting God and trusting God that he provided a way and a mechanism so that you could have this. And uh, I had someone tell me a story the other day uh, of the guy who was stranded and the waters rose above the roof and along comes a boat, right? And you know, nope, 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 God's going to save me. And along comes, you know, a uh, jet ski. Nope, nope, the Lord's going to And along comes a helicopter with a rope. And finally, the man's up to his neck after rejecting all those three things. And he says, God, why didn't you save me? And he says, I tried. I gave you three things that could have saved you. And, mm-hmm. and I look at this issue, and I know that that may seem like, oh, that's a little corny. At the end of the day, think about that. God has given us resources to right, right. the vaccine. He's given us monoclonal therapies. He's given us all of those things to help us. Maybe he's saying, I can help you. You can be saved from this virus if you trust in me. That's not distrusting God. 
That's believing that the scientists and epidemiologists and all the people, many Christian friends of mine work for pharmaceutical. Our friend who works here as a chief strategy officer, uh, Nicole, her sister works for Merck. And they're developing uh, lines of pills right now that can be taken for COVID-19. She is a, a solid Christian woman. There are many, many in her cohorts who are good, solid Christian people. God is using them for such a time as this, I believe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and I think, you know, you mentioned before, Pastor Miller, about science. It, to me, science is just the investigation and discovery of the incredible creation that God That's has, right. you right. know, allowed us to be stewards of. And I also feel like, um, you know, the idea of, well, I'm just going to be trusting God. I mean, I could say the same thing. I could say, JJ, I quit. I'm going to go sit at home and yeah. I'm going to wait for God to pay my bills oh, and no to, uh, you know, feed my baby. And, you know, like yeah. he gives us all the tools and the right. things we need. And I think one of the lessons that I've always taken from the the parable of the talent says, it is my responsibility to use what God has given me um, in a way that is glorifying to him, yes. is productive, is positive for others, for myself, for the world. Well, too much is given, much, much is, is required. required. Right. And uh, he's given us technology. He's given us smart people. And I think he wants and he requires us to use that for the good, which we have through the vaccine. Many lives have been saved. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's an important concept to remember. I think the devil would want nothing better than to convince all the Christians that the vaccine is not effective and then all the Christians die. Right. Right. And, you know, discernment is a part of this, too, not just um, within one's relationship with God, but in listening to the information we're sharing, researching their own information. One of the things that I think um, is really concerning, and JJ's heard me say this before, too, on our our Facebook Live program, um, but I truly believe that the best way to deceive, and we know the great deceiver was the author of this, is Mm -hmm. to add lies to the truth. Yes. And a lot of the information that is misinformation that's out there often sounds very scientific. Um, It's coming from someone maybe who has a scientific background, even if their background is not really specific to this type of science. Um, And, you know, Christians have to think through those things and determine what is legitimate information to base my decisions on from a logical perspective, but then there's also that, uh, you know, faith-based aspect of it. What do they feel God is calling them to do in this particular scenario? Um, so what what do you think is the way that that factors into this discussion, the decision-making process? How should people work through that? One should always follow the spirits leading in their life. I 100% agree that. But the question is, And this is where it can get tricky because we are fallen. And even as Christians, we know that we are saved sinners. Are we following the spirits leading in our lives or are we following our own leading and putting the label on that as the spirits leading? Hmm. And that's, that's a process of discernment. Now, thankfully, God in his wisdom has given us ways that we can discern. Mm -hmm. And one, of course, is going to his word. Is it lining up with what we read in Scripture? He's given us prayer that we can communicate to him. He's given us his spirit, of course, but he's also given us his uh, the church as well. He's given us yeah. faith communities mm-hmm. where we can go to and say, hey, I have sensing the Lord's leading me in this area. What do you think? Because when we do that, it, leads, it leaves us less vulnerable to just doing what we want to do and calling it God's... Mm-hmm spirit leading us, Mm -hmm. and perhaps realizing 
that it isn't that or confirming that it is. And I think that comes through a process of seeking God's word, prayer, and seeking the counsel of trusted Christians as well, Christian, especially Christian uh, leaders and pastors, elders, deacons, priests that are part of your faith community. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that also brings a... You know, it encourages us to have a spirit of humility in in the process because we are not just, again, leaning on our own understanding or our own sense of Mm -hmm. what direction we think we should be going or that God is leading us. But like you said, asking others in your faith community, talking to other people and taking in that information with an open heart to really understand, okay, is this just me? Or is this the direction that God is leading me in this particular area? Yes, absolutely. Well, Pastor, ultimately as Christians, okay, uh, and this is a tough one maybe to answer, uh, what is our responsibility in a pandemic? You know, especially if we ourselves are not high risk. You know, let's say that our, you know, we're in our 20s, we're in our 30s, we have great health, and life has been good to us. Uh, what is our responsibility then as Christians? You know, I've been thinking about this more and more. And ultimately, I want to say that I think our responsibility is one of, and I'll I'll put the word response in, you know, we'll highlight the word response and responsibility, is one of hope and kindness. And by hope, I think, first of all, as Christians, we should be hopeful that this vaccine does work. That's right. We should be hopeful that this is actually going to help curb the disease and curb the number of deaths. We should not go into it uh, pessimistically. Even if even if we um, think or hear some news and it causes a question, we should hope that that news is wrong. I'm not talking about being having our head in the sand, mm-hmm. but still going in with a hope that God is giving his grace to all of us, his common grace, and hopefully the end of the pandemic will come sooner rather than later through means such as uh, the vaccination, Mm -hmm. the vaccine. You know, I I think that is an important aspect as what is my duty. Uh, And and God has given us some charge. You know, we have to work until his return, it says. And uh, it's work and it's hard. And we're facing something for many of us in our lifetime, Rachel. Mm -hmm. We're young. Uh, You're young. The yeah, three I'm of us like are twenty one. Yeah, like twenty two. Uh, and uh, we're we're all young. We have not experienced a pandemic no. of this proportion ever. Right. 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 No. And so this is scary. Uh, it's challenging. Uh, it's fearful. And I think the devil would want nothing more than to distract us with all of those emotions. Um, but he also has driven us to do something about it. And uh, through the work that has been done. Uh, Congress gave a blank check uh, for the development of the vaccine. Never mm-hmm. happened before in our history. Nope. Uh, and we shut down certain segments of uh, factories and uh, places that were doing research to focus solely on this particular virus. Uh, and it was effective. We have found uh, the vaccines uh, that if you look at just our numbers here in Hillsdale County, you know, uh, very effective because it keeps people out of the hospital. Yep. Um, the majority, when I say that, 95 or greater, I think it's like 96% of all deaths that we've had here are unvaccinated. And so that speaks volumes to me when I look at just the sheer numbers. And if you're listening today and you're in another state outside of Michigan, Google those results. You know, look at the vaccination rate versus the unvaccination rate. We know that through science and the development of this vaccine, 
which we I'm glad it happened rapidly. They didn't take any uh, side cuts with us, you know, and I think that's a misnomer, Rachel, as well, is that, well, it was, it was developed way too fast. How many times have we heard that? Uh, plenty of times. And what, what Jeff, our pharmacy director, has shared with us is that there was a speed change, but not a shortcut, right? Absolutely. So it, the process was moved through more quickly, but none of the steps were skipped. And I think there is a lot of that information that's still, you know, out there proliferating is that, oh, well, they never did this and they've never skipped this step before. Absolutely. You know? So, you know, Pastor Miller, uh, it has been, you know, fantastic to have you here. But before we close, you know, do you have any other thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I did want to say, because uh, I had mentioned the response should be one of hope and kindness. And I didn't get to mention really what that meant. That's good. The kindness, I, my, even my little church, I have people who are very much uh, for the vaccine, and I have some who are very much against the vaccine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think we find that in most we churches do. and most communities households. and families and houses. Right. That's right. 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 And so the other response that I would hope Christian would take is one of kindness and just allowing people to make. You know, God gave us free wills, and even though we can disagree with one another over the vaccines, as Christians, especially as part of a church community or a, especially within a household family, there are things that are more central to who we are than if we are vaccinated or not vaccinated. As Christians, uh, the person in, in my church, I believe that they are fellow Christians and that they are made in God's image, just like all of us are made. And those things are more fundamental than placing ourselves in these boxes, although obviously these are important boxes. But there should be hopefully, especially as a Christian, a level of kindness as opposed to resentment and anger that should stir mm-hmm. in our souls. You know, I think one of the disheartening things um, that we've seen throughout this vaccine conversation and debate is There's a lot of vitriol, um, and there are people on both sides of this issue who take a very indignant attitude and position, kind of like, you know, J.J., the questions you've got, how, as a Christian, could Mm -hmm. you, how dare you, as a Christian, Mm -hmm. promote the vaccine to members of this community? Or how dare you, as a Christian, Mm -hmm. spread misinformation that's not true without checking it first? Mm -hmm. You know, these, these attitudes of... I am 100% right, Mm. you are 100% wrong, and then, you know, basically making a determination um, about that person as a whole based on those things, right? Um, You know, I think that is really, to your point, the kindness um, is something we need to focus more on. And anyone who, again, has that attitude of I'm 100% right, you're 100% wrong, that should be concerning. Beware the man who believes he has God completely figured out, right? Stay away. Yes, stay away. (laughs) (laughs) That is not a good sign. So, you know, I think it's important for all of us to remember to come at this again with with a spirit of humility um, and to be the light within those conversations that can get very nasty and very ugly and disrespectful and, and hateful because, you know, JJ's heard me say this plenty of times. I truly believe that every one of us is walking around. We just want to feel important. Mm. You know, we want to feel like mm-hmm. we have purpose and that we matter. Mm-hmm. And I think that also makes us very open to clinging on to things that mm-hmm. make us feel that way, mm-hmm. even if the uh, real intent behind it is not good. And even if it sows other issues within our soul and within our spirit, like pride, um, like disrespect toward other people. Um, So I think we really need to remember to take a step back, 
put ourselves in the shoes of others, lead with empathy when we have these conversations, um, whichever direction you're you're going with it, and you know try to have that spirit of humility that Christ demonstrated on the cross above all. Wow. That's right. You know what? I think we can close in prayer right there on that. That's one. right. My goodness, fantastic <laughs> summary, Rachel, uh, and and absolutely accurate for the environment that we're living in today. We need more kindness, uh, and as we approach the uh, Christmas season. Um, we need to think about a little bit more about uh, what gifts we could actually give to our neighbor, to our community, and to our family. And and some of those, you know, are not physical gifts, but they're gifts such as I'm going to keep them safe. And we know the critical value of vaccination uh, as uh, healthcare leaders in our community. Um, we have opposed, and we have been very open. Uh, the governor and the uh, president's uh, initiatives to try to mandatorily require uh, individuals to get vaccine because we believe it truly is uh, your choice to do that. But you have to make that choice knowing what all the consequences are. So, Pastor Miller, it's been great to have you here. Chaplain, father, friend, uh, it has been great to have you here today. It's been great to learn a little bit more about, you know, what would the Bible have to say beyond all the politicians you know, beyond all of those experts who think they know what they're talking about, it really comes down to the relationship as we're relating it on this program. Does the Christian, what relationship does a Christian have uh, to the vaccine and their responsibility? So thank you so much it's for been joining a, us today. It's been a pleasure to be here. Before we close, we like to do a fun segment with each of our guests. So we want to know, Pastor Miller, what is your most unique rural experience or one of your favorite memories that is unique to rural life? Well, this is unique to rural life, but it is not unique to anyone who is lives in a rural community, and I guarantee <laughs> you it's not unique to any of you. And that is the fact when you go grocery shopping, you have to factor in additional time to talk to An people hour. at yes. the grocery An store. Hour. You have to do it. An who hour. are you going to run into? Because you know you're going to run An into— hour. Absolutely. Everyone. Mm -hmm. And so you got to catch up. You got to do talk. It's bad when you run in and run out and you can't say hi to everyone no. and, and you don't give them the time. That causes hurt oh, feelings. They, you get a text right. later. Oh, no, you get a text. You, you don't ignored want that. my wife. How, right. you know, she's very supportive of your hospital, yeah. JJ. So here's what we do um, My daughter's name is Leah. Leah, I need you to run to the store yeah. and grab some <laughs> butter because getting butter has been the most complex thing in my life uh, lately because it's. It's so, and, and again, you can't blame people, but they want to know everything about COVID. They want to know everything about, you know, the vaccine. They want to know. And so literally, and I am not joking, we could spend hours in the grocery store. Now, that's, that's some right. good politicking and some, you know, uh, some good opportunities to to connect with people. But um, you're right. That is that is a certainly a rural experience. You're kind of, you know, and I tell this to doctors that come to our community, kind of a celebrity uh, when you go sure. to the grocery store because everybody knows you. Yep. Uh, now, it's not always good, you right. know, because you'll also get the other side of it. Oh. Um, you know, but uh, yeah. but we, we do hear great things about what you're doing here at Hillsville Hospital, and I want to thank you uh, for your commitment to our patients, families, and our staff. That means a lot. I appreciate it, JJ. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll have another great conversation with another great guest, so be sure to tune in. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. You can also now find us on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ, Rachel at Rural Health Rach, and you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. 
Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network, hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. Special thanks to today's guest, Rev. Lucas Miller, Pastoral Care Director at Hillsdale Hospital. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit ruralhealthrising.com.